Welcome back to That One Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Wilson, and you know who I always have with me, my brother from another mother, my co-host, Chris Hale. Chiefs victory, baby. This is the most exciting day to do a podcast in my life. I could not agree with you more, so we are just going to get right into it. Super Bowl 57 last night. Chiefs win 38-35. And I think that a lot of the takes that we had last week, I think we were spot on on some. I think that everyone kept talking about how great this Eagles defensive line was, how they had the you know second most sacks since the 85 Bears, and how was the Chiefs offensive line going to hold up against that type of pass rush. And let me tell you, the Chiefs' offensive line gave up not one, not two, but they gave up zero sacks that allowed Patrick to sit a back. A bagel, baby, a bagel, zero, zero sacks. Zero sacks that allowed Patrick to sit back there and do what he do, especially on a bum ankle for Pat to have that type of performance. And I will say his performance was not – Stat-wise, overwhelming, but in my opinion, it was the perfect game that he had to play. Because of the game the Eagles were playing, they were not snapping the ball until under five seconds every single play, which was going to take time away from Pat Mahomes in the offense. And let me just tell you, Pat Mahomes is that dude. He is, again, he proved to you why he is the best quarterback in the National Football League. Also, Andy Reid proved he is one of the greatest coaches of all time. Coming out after halftime, making those adjustments, I really do feel that the longer halftime helped the Chiefs, especially because Mahomes re-rolled his right ankle and they were able to have a longer time to get treatment on it and also to make those halftime adjustments. Because at the end of the day, in the second half, the Chiefs scored – Every single possession they touched the ball against that vaunted defense. Now, I will say that I knew that sometimes numbers can be taken out of context. And when I say that is when you have a defense that is elite, but they only play, in my opinion, a handful of really good quarterbacks, how elite can they be? Because if you take the games that that they played, Goff, Rodgers, Lawrence, Pat, and I believe there was one more quarterback, those teams average 34 points a game. To me, that's not elite. So when you only play five good quarterbacks and you give up 34 points a game, but then everyone else you just manhandle, I do believe – I'm not trying to take anything away from the Philadelphia defense, but I think that the numbers were kind of taken out of context because of who they played. The Chiefs' defense was not great, but they were very – opportunistic, getting key stops in key times. And my boy, M-I-Z-Z-O-U, Nick Bolton with the scoop and score was one of the big momentum shift swings in the game. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to give you credit and let everybody know that's listening to this. You are a big Mizzou homer. You love you some M-I-Z-Z-O-U. Yes, sir. Uh, and Nick Bolton was a steal. I mean, there, there's no other way around it. He was a Pro Bowl snub. Uh, this year with 180 tackles on the season, came out, honestly looked like 
if not the best, definitely the second best defensive person on the field yesterday. Really got another touchdown taken back from him. Almost got two. In my opinion, that if that holds up, I think he wins MVP. And I know it's hard to give it to a defensive person, but Agreed. it happened. It happened with the Seattle Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. The linebacker from the Seahawks won um, Super Bowl MVP because he had a similar light game, but it got taken away. It ends up going to Mahomes. My Super Bowl recap here, I don't want to sound philosophical. Greatness is about opportunity. That That's all we ask for in life is just to be given an opportunity. There are so many people who have – more athleticism than a LeBron James, more athleticism than a Patrick Mahomes possibly that never got the opportunity to shine. So now let's take this in more of a microcosm to yesterday's game. I'm sick and tired of hearing the Eagles had a better team. They didn't. The Eagles had multiple opportunities and they squandered them. You won the time of possession game. You had 36 minutes to Patrick Mahomes 24. That is almost a full quarter more to have the ball. And yes, you did put up 35 points. And our offense put up 31 because our defense scored seven or six. But it goes down to opportunity. Let's look at all three phases of, of the game and you tell me who the better team was. When we had an opportunity to make a play on special teams, what did we do, Mitch? Kadarius Tony had the longest punt return in NFL Super Bowl history. Thank you. When we had the opportunity to get a turnover and do something with that turnover on defense, what did we do? Nick Bolton scoop and score for six points. Thank you. And with 24 minutes only that our offense possessed the ball, how many points did our offense put up? 31. And when we gave the ball to our running backs, what did they do yesterday with their opportunity? Isaiah Pacheco averaged 5.1 yards a carry, and was absolutely running over dudes. Okay, so now let's go to the losing side of the ball. When the Eagles special team had an opportunity, what did they do? They did not make a play. Okay, when their defense had an opportunity to get a turnover, what did they do? They did not make a play. Did that fantastic defensive line that everyone thought was the second coming of the Baltimore Ravens in 2000, what did they do? How many sacks did they have yesterday? Man, how many was it? Oh, it was zero. So they had as many sacks as I did sitting on the chair watching the game, right? You are 100% correct. Okay. So their only highlight they had yesterday was Jalen Hurts and his ability to honestly run with his legs. I am not trying to put salt into a wound here. I was actually not that thoroughly impressed with Jalen Hurts' game. What? I like Jalen Hurts, and I think what he did with his legs was awesome. But let's recap here. How many times did that Eagles offense have to be aggressive and go for it on fourth down for them to maintain the possession? Not very much. Now, why do you think they had to go so many times on fourth down? Who do you think they were afraid of? Oh, yeah, that's right. The big, bad boogeyman on one ankle over there. So let's not pretend like their team was, oh, Jalen Hurts is going to go one-on-one with Mahomes. They knew that, that they would lose that battle. So that's why they kept possessing the ball because they knew our defense that everyone hung their hat on cannot stop that man. They cannot even play chess with Andy Reid. My Super Bowl recap is really simple. It's opportunity. Who took it? Who didn't? 
So yeah, Jalen Hurts may have outplayed Mahomes statistically, but what have, what would Mahomes have done with 36 minutes with the ball? He had it for 24 minutes. And a lot of that came in the second half. The first half, he only probably possessed the ball for seven. Agreed. Yeah, I think it just goes back to what you said, opportunity. I will disagree with you. I thought Jalen Hurts played an absolute hell of a game. He threw for over 300 yards. He ran for, I believe, 70 somewhat yards. He did absolutely just about everything you could possibly do to win that game, except the third and fourth quarter times where they needed to get first downs. They could not get them. And that's what allowed the Chiefs to come back into the game. Them not being able to be as efficient as they were in the first half allowed the Chiefs to get back in the game because defense was playing better. They weren't getting first downs. The offense, like I already said, the offense scored every single time they touched the ball in the second half. Going back to what you said, Chris, is that they were afraid of that man, 1-5 over there. And that just goes to show you, and that's why they played the way they did. And I, I also think that when the Eagles got down in this game, it was the first time that they had been down in the, in the entire postseason. So I think it was really a gut check for them. They had been ahead all postseason. So in my opinion, they had not really truly faced any adversity. And so big-time players got to make big-time plays in big-time situations. And Patrick Holmes, he just did it more than Jalen. But again, I think Jalen had a great game. I think because of what he's done these last two years, and especially what he did this year, being number two in the MVP voting, having almost 400 total yards, he ties a, a Super Bowl record of three rushing touchdowns. The Philadelphia Eagles need to pay that man and pay him handsomely because without him, I don't think that that team gets there because of his running ability. He obviously proved with over the 300 yards, dropping dimes all over the field, he can throw the ball. But what makes him unique is the combination of his being able to throw the ball, but also on a fourth and five, he runs for 25 yards. So I respectfully disagree. I think he had a one I just think he's got to prove more, man. I mean, he he is good, and I'm not going – I told my wife this last night. I'm not going to rain on, on his parade. He played a great game. Um, I'm just not ready to crown him. Like, he's going to be the NFC's best quarterback for the next 10 years. And let me give you an example. Do you know a guy by the name of Timmy Smith? No. Do you know that he has the rushing record in a Super Bowl with 204 yards? I did not know that. Oh, you didn't, see? So one game does not define your career. Either way. Right. He played fantastic. I still think the jury is out on him, on whether or not he's going to sustain that. You got to remember, A.J. Brown is a stud. Devontae Smith is a stud. Dallas Goddard is a stud. Their offensive line is great. Miles Sanders in that running game, up until yesterday, was great. <laughs> What's that going to look like now when he has to carry somebody? I still don't believe that he really reads defenses. And that throw to A.J. Brown, you will never convince me that was a good throw. If Trent McDuffie turns around and plays that ball, not as a rookie, that's a pick. And that's not going anywhere. All advanced stats say that was a horrible throw. A.J. Brown had the advantage because he's a receiver. 
So he knows where and he tracked it. It wasn't a good ball. It was just, I'm throwing it up there to a spot. Trent McDuffie made a bad play, should have been picked. Again, if this were fist, we'd all be drunk. I get that. I think Jalen Hurts needs to put together another year of sustained success before we just go and crown. I was the same guy that said that about Patrick Mahomes. His first year starting, everyone was like, oh, he's MVP, pay him now. Guys, we have to stop living in this instant gratification world. Because what are we going to say, Mitch, if next year Jalen Hurts and the Eagles go 6-10 and and he throws 24 touchdowns and 13 picks? Are you going to say to go give that man all that money? Probably Based not. Based on one season and he had one great game in the Super Bowl, which is awesome. But I just told you what Timmy Smith did. There was literally a defensive back, Larry Brown, for the Dallas Cowboys that wanted all this money in the offseason because the way he played in the Super Bowl. Do you even remember the linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks that won MVP? I can't even tell you his name. I can. Malcolm Smith, is that what it is? It was either Malcolm Smith or Bobby Wagner. Oh, no, it wasn't Bobby Wagner. It Bobby was Wagner's a beast. And it's a Mal- it, it's, it was it's Malcolm Smith. Smith. And where's he at? Oh, that's right. He's selling car insurance. <laughs> so everyone needs to hold off on Hertz, in my opinion. It's, it's great if I'm wrong for the Philly fan base. If he goes out next year, if he's that dude, that's great. But that's where you and I disagree. I think he played a great game, but I don't think he's that dude yet. I was not as impressed with the game as the media is making it be. He had plenty of opportunity. They ran – a plethora more plays than what Kansas City did. I look at Mahomes' game and say, with 24 minutes, that's all you had, and you scored 31 points. And in the second half, you missed one pass. And people forget, the pass he missed was a throwaway. It was a throwaway. That's how you play the quarterback position. And that goes to exactly what I said earlier. From a stats point of view, was very average, but if you watch the game in its context, he played a perfect game, especially in the second half. And another thing I want to talk about is how important now, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, was the trade for Kadarius Tony. He makes one of the most crucial plays in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs finally take the lead. They go get a stop on defense, and they kick the ball to him, and he's just out there juking and jiving, made a couple guys miss, and then gets to the opposite side of the field to where there's just a wall. That was, to me, one of the biggest plays in the second half because when the Chiefs get the ball, they're, I mean, they're on fire, but you don't know if they're going to score once they get it. But the fact that he takes that down to the five-yard line and that is the longest yeah. punt return in Super Bowl history, that trade already in itself – has paid off for me because we still have. He looks like, truthfully, he looks like he loves basketball. The way he runs <laughs> sometimes, he looks like he's trying to cross somebody over. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, uh, this is a good segue into our next topic because Bill Belichick was someone who people always said he didn't need athletes. He just needed smart players. If you gave Bill Belichick smart players, he was going to make a great team. Andy Reid needs athletes. If you give Andy Reid speed and athletes, he will dominate. Andy Reid is out there playing chess. 
when many defensive coordinators are playing checkers. The stuff he did yesterday, that play design for those two wide open. Oh, oh I mean, on. And especially in the red zone where it's crammed, it's difficult to score. They threw, he threw to wide open wide receivers. And why that's more impressive than the open that, that Devontae Smith was, Devontae Smith was a broken coverage, not based off of play design. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It was Legereus Sneed playing a two-by-one, seeing the inside receiver, and he let him come up the sideline. What we did to the defensive coordinator was flat-out play calling. They knew throughout the season that that outside corner was going to come fast and try to cheat on motions because of jet sweeps. Andy Reid sees that, knows that, and says, you're going to put on the brakes and go right back outside where he left. And I don't mean they were open. I'm talking about like Kansas Prairie open. <laughs> there was no one around those boys. No one. Playing for Andy Reid has to be amazing, and it leads us to our next point. We're going to talk about three people, two players, one coach, what yesterday did for their legacy. And I'll start off the conversation. We'll go player and coach and player, and we'll talk about each one. So the first one, what do you think yesterday's win did for Patrick Mahomes? What do you think it did for his legacy? I think for Patrick, I think he's, in my opinion, he's not in the GOAT discussion yet. But I do think, in my opinion, that with him winning multiple Super Bowls now, multiple MVPs, and multiple Super Bowl MVPs, I think that puts him top five. You know, I think that – I think top three. Top three? I think the only okay. people he's not above is Joe Montana and Tom Brady at this current juncture in his career. If he gets hurt next year and his career's done or he walks away – Whoa, whoa. Well, you better quit. I know. I, but this is the point that I'm making. If he left today, is what he's done so far – enough to put him in that category. So let's not project. Let's say what it did for him. And in my opinion, five years as a starter, five AFC championship games, three Super Bowl appearances, two Super Bowl wins, two Super Bowl MVPs, two regular season MVPs. Other than Joe Montana and Tom Brady, show me a quarterback that's better. And don't tell me Aaron Rodgers because that's longevity. I'm talking accolades right. alone. Maybe, maybe you put Peyton Manning over him, so I could see that that three th that argument. But I'm going to say top three. But you couldn't argue with me about top five. I mean, oh, top absolutely five, not. He's slamming just from winning yesterday. He's in the he's in top five. But I'm going to go as far as top three. Okay, yeah, uh, I, I like that. I kind of play that a little conservatively, just because you know. Um, like I said, I try not to get too excited, but I, I definitely say definitely for sure he's a slam dunk top five. You could argue top three. I think what makes him so special is that not only does he have the arm talent, he's just mobile enough to be faster than the guy chasing him. And then on top of that, you can go back to what Andy, Andy Reid has said multiple times about, about Patrick is that he is super smart. And I've also 
heard from his father that, that he has uh, identical memory. It's not a photographic. It's not a photographic, but it's it's. I believe it's called an identical memory, to where most times if he sees a defense once, then he kind of just puts that in the back of his mind, and then like once he sees that again, like he's gonna know exactly what it is. So we are so freaking lucky to have that guy on our team. I feel like he is, and I'm not just saying this because I am a Chiefs fan. It's almost like he is the ideal quarterback from a, you know, from a smart standpoint, from a arm talent standpoint, and from a mobility standpoint. If if there was ever a knock, if I was ever going to really take somebody's discrediting of Patrick Mahomes, I think the only argument that they would have is that his Super Bowl stats are not that great. When he's played in the big game, he's got five touchdowns, throwing touchdowns, um, to four interceptions. His yards per game are pretty low in an era where your yards should be a lot higher. But I don't think he's done. And and that's where he's going to have an opportunity to pad those stats later on. But you've got all those accolades. Again, if you want to argue Peyton Manning, maybe throw Drew Brees in there, I don't know. I would listen to you. But top five, if you have him out of your top five even now, I just don't think you're watching the the game off the same TV screen that I am. Yeah, so, and, yeah, and that also goes to what you said about his knock of of the numbers not being there. But I think that's kind of goes along with, you know, numbers are not everything. You also have to see the context in which those numbers are. So I definitely agree with you saying that a knock could be his stats in Super Bowls, but if you look at the context of those numbers, I think that tells a completely different story. Absolutely. So that moves on to another player for the Kansas City Chiefs that we're going to talk about. What did yesterday's win do for Travis Kelsey? Because the Chiefs have a couple surefire Hall of Famers, as you know, the coach, the quarterback, the tight end, probably Chris Jones if he continues to put up regular season numbers, let's be honest, with two rings. If he has over 100 sacks and the Chiefs are pretty much good the whole time he plays, he'll be someone that gets strong consideration for the Hall of Fame. But let's talk about Travis Kelsey. What do you think yesterday's game did for Travis Kelsey's legacy? I think that puts him a slam dunk at top three. I think top two, maybe 1A and 1B. Because of the numbers that he's put up over this time, you know, he's the only tight end in NFL history to have seven consecutive seasons of a thousand yards. Now having multiple rings, he he's in very rare company. Um, obviously, I think it's a it's a discussion between him and Gronk. I love Tony G. I love him to death. He has the numbers, but when it comes to all-time greats, championships are a part of that criteria, and he has zero. So I would put him ahead of Tony. I think it's argu- arguably between him and Gronk. Um, you know, and now it's getting to a point to where Travis Kelsey, the only person in NFL history to catch more touchdowns in the postseason, in, in NFL postseason history, is Jerry Rice. And he's a receiver. Travis Kelsey's a tight end. I think Travis Kelsey – is obviously when he 
retires, which I hope is not for a few more years. Hopefully we have a couple more Super Bowls. But he is 1B to me right now, right behind Gronk. I think that he has done pretty much everything you could possibly want from a tight end. I think now it's to the point to where um, he does a very good job of keeping himself healthy and his body in shape. If he continues to do that, I think he's going to play for a few more years and be dominant. But this Super Bowl has definitely cemented Travis Kelsey as arguably the best tight end of all time. I agree with you to a certain extent. I do, in my opinion, there's only four tight ends that you really can make the case for GOAT to me. Tony G, Travis Kelsey, Shannon Sharp, and Rob Gronkowski. I don't want to hear about Antonio Gates. I really don't. He didn't really even have much playoff success, let alone ever going to the to, to the Super Bowl. I, I get sick and tired of people not putting championships in the right context. You are a champion, and it requires you, yes, to be on a good team, but you cannot ignore when someone wins the final game. It, you are the best team, regardless of what someone wants to say, you are the reigning Super Bowl champ. And now that you have two Super Bowls, it just puts you in a different stratosphere. He is now a multiple champion. And it just, to me, it changes the whole complexity of his legacy. If you were to ask me today where that puts him, I'm going to agree right with you. 1A, 1B, and however you want to switch that around is your preference. If you're a purist to the position and you say Rob Gronkowski, and if you take away his injuries, what he would have done, again, it's all semantics. You want to put him there and then Kelsey below? Cool. You want to put Kelsey above and Rob Gronkowski there? Cool. I think either way they're interchangeable. But I don't like to project because that wasn't the question, but Kelsey's still going. I love the old adage of his cement is not dry. His semen is wet. He still gets to add to that illustrious career. So he gets to go put up more numbers, possibly win another championship, have more playoff success. He goes to another Super Bowl. Maybe he catches two touchdowns. Now he's at, you know, 18 postseason or, uh, yeah, touchdowns. Gronkowski's done. So he can't do anything with his numbers. It's there. And eventually, he's going to start to see that gap get wider. As of right now, I would say they're tied. Just because Gronk has one more ring, um, he didn't even play in a Super Bowl. He was injured. And then he also didn't play in the Super Bowl with the Giants because his ankle was banged up. Remember, he was like on oh, yeah, that's right. he was like 25%. So who knows with two Super Bowl games what Gronk could have done with, with stats. But all I know is he didn't, and Travis Kelsey's put in the work. So I'm with you, 1A, 1B, whatever your preference is, you can switch it around all you want. That's how important winning two Super Bowls is. So now we've talked about the two players. We kind of alluded to this earlier. What does yesterday's win do for Andy Reid? To me, it cements Andy Reid as one of the best coaches in NFL history. In my opinion, the only coach I put above him is Bill Belichick, and that's just because he's got more rings. Other than that – I would say you have an argument with Chuck Knoll 
in the the 1970 okay. Steelers. He won four of them. Um, I'm not sure if he ever lost one. I think Bill Walsh would have a good argument with the Niners. Um, other than that, maybe stop, maybe uh, Landry, and then of course you still got Vince Lombardi. I definitely think top five for sure, but I don't know. That's where I'll disagree. Is I don't know if he's just right behind Belichick. That I I'm not sure of that yet. Okay, well let me tell you why, brother. So Andy Reid is the first coach in NFL history to record ten or more postseason wins with two different franchises. Okay, he's the first coach in NFL history to go to I believe because he went to what four or five NFC championships with Philadelphia. Yeah, four or five. Four or five. And then now he's been to five AFC championships with the Chiefs. A lot of those other guys you're talking about did it with one team. And he has been so good at what he does. He was able to build that culture and do it with one team and then leave that team, come to a different team, and have the same amount of success. Just imagine what Andy Reid would have done in Philadelphia if he would have had a be- better quarterbacks. I'm not trying to take anything away from Donovan McNabb. He was my I, guy, my guy back in the day. But if Andy Reid would have had a better quarterback in Philadelphia, I guarantee you he would have won multiple Super Bowls in Philadelphia. Unfortunately for him, he didn't have that opportunity. But luckily for us and for him and KC, he got his guy and Patrick Mahomes. So it's one thing to do that with one team. But to be able to do that with two different teams, two different franchises, that's impressive. To to me, that's just super impressive. So that's why. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Mitch. I'm not disagreeing that he doesn't have the argument to be put into the top three or top one or whatever. I personally don't put a lot of stock in that you've just done it with two different teams. Um, just the same way in basketball, I hate, well, LeBron and them have won it with three different teams or two different teams. Well, that just means you move somewhere. <laughs> I mean, that's all that means is that you just went and moved somewhere. It's like, yeah, you were good with Philly, but you never won. Right, but I, I, th- I think when it's different. you had a quarterback. And right. that's all of them. Bill Belichick didn't win without Brady. Chuck Knoll had Terry Bradshaw. Bill Walsh had Joe Montana. You have to have that tandem right. So all the great time coaches, there's none of them that just won with subpar quarterbacks, or they may have won one ring. There's no way they were part of a dynasty with a horrible quarterback. I think, in my opinion, I think it's a little different with players than coaches. Like players play, coaches are the one who establish the culture, who establish like what type of team that they're going to be. And so I think it's. I agree with that. It's it's a little different with with uh, coaches talking about culture and how great Andy Reed has been for two organizations. Now let's get in and talk about the teams that advanced to the div- divisional round of the playoffs and what we see for them in their futures. And I'll go ahead and start. And I'm obviously going to start with the chiefs. I think that Brett Veach deserves a ton of credit. He has drafted extremely well. The faith that he had in his team his coaching staff, and his quarterback to trade arguably the best receiver in football to Miami this last offseason and get those picks back. Those draft picks played in the Super Bowl and I think were were well worth it. 
Patrick Mahomes, you know, a few years ago, took a never even heard of type of deal, a 10-year deal worth half a billion dollars, not million, half a billion dollars to make sure that his team was going to be able to be good every year. There's no other quarterback that has taken that type of deal, and I think that just goes to show you what Patrick wants to accomplish in the league. So I think with the Chiefs being in, in a great cap space situation, their uh, Patrick Mahomes was the uh, this season was the fifth highest paid quarterback after this next season, and all these handful of quarterbacks get paid. Um, he's going to drop to about number 10th, around number 10. And so that just goes to show you how smart Patrick is and the deal that he signed because he wants to be able to get paid but also continue to have players around him. I think the, the Chiefs, unfortunately for everyone else, is in a really great spot from a cap standpoint and from a quarterback standpoint because they have the best quarterback in the NFL and he's not the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, and I'll just really keep it short and sweet. When you talk about the context of what we're speaking on, which is what do these teams' futures look like? Everything you listed, I'm going to agree with. From a salary cap perspective, from the quarterback position, from the skill position position, to head coach, to youth, to players on defense, to defensive coordinator, to the GM, the Chiefs have a very bright future. Whether or not that translates into three or four more Super Bowls or one more Super Bowl, I'm talking about the future as a whole. Chiefs fans can be excited because of what we have over these next five years. The defense is young. It's going to get better. Patrick Mahomes is now really entering his prime, not only his physical, but his mental prime. Travis Kelsey, we may only have two more years left of really good, but the way that Brett Veach has been able to draft and trade they're always going to put decent players around Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid is going to probably be there for the next four years, I think. So at least for the four years, the future's bright for Kansas City. Proud to say I'm a fan. Really great to see that success. I'm going to jump and start with another AFC team, and I don't mean to say this in a rude way, uh, but this one's going to be short just because I, I, I don't really – Yes, they made the divisional round, but it's the Jaguars. Sorry, Jags fans. Out of the four teams that made it, they were definitely the lesser uh, of the four. But I will say this. To answer the question of their future, Trevor Lawrence proved to a lot of people, as Nick Wright always says, that he was the prince that was promised. That franchise has a lot to be grateful for because they're following kind of in the Chiefs' footsteps. They've now got the right quarterback. They've got the right coach. Their GM's willing to spend money. They've got skill positions everywhere with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Travis Etienne. They've got all these great players. Their defense is young. They weren't even supposed to be where they're at this year. They found it. They got better. I think that they have a bright future as well. Um, do I think they're really going to contend with the Chiefs over the next four years? No, but I do think they could be a thorn in our side where they're always going to be a tough out. Games are always going to be close. So Jaguar fans, you could be somewhat happy to hear. I don't think you guys are destitute. I think you'll be there again. I think you'll be in the playoffs quite often with uh, Trevor Lawrence. I, I still think the Chiefs are just going to be the cream of the crop for the next four years. But Jaguars, I think you have a bright future as well. What about you, Mitch? 
Yeah, I would agree. And I think the one thing that people forget is that the offense is legit. They have the right coach. But something that people might forget is that they have Calvin Ridley now. Um, they traded for him during this last season, and that's a Pro Bowl caliber receiver, in my opinion. And when you when you pair him point. with when you pair him up with Trevor Lawrence, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, now essentially they're 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 going to kind of almost be like the Bengals, the, those that three headed monster receiver with Chase Higgins and Boyd. Now the Jaguars are going to have they have their QB one. They're going to have three really good receivers in, in that running back ETN, I think the offense is going to be really, really good. I definitely think that because of them having the right coach and right quarterback, I think they're going to be back in the playoffs probably almost every year. But again, I think that because the Chiefs and how good Mahomes is, I think that they'll be there. I just don't know if they'll ever overtake us. And like you said, probably just be a thorn in our side. So moving on to the next team. We're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And this is a team that has a great quarterback, a team that has, like I just alluded to, a three-headed monster receiving core. But the problem they're going to have is is that Joe Burrow is about to get paid. Jamar Chase is going to have to be paid. And in my opinion, there's no way that you can keep Chase Higgins and Boyd. You're going to have to – you're obviously going to keep Chase because he is – he is one of one, but you're going to essentially have to decide between Higgins and Boyd which one you want. And depending on the receiving market, like they might not even be able to keep either of them because last year when Christian Kirk signed his deal, people thought, what the heck, there's no way he should be getting that much money. So you never know. I think that because of, of them having to pay Burrow and Chase, that's really going to put them in a bind from a cap perspective moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals have all the talent in the world. It's going to really boil down to what that GM and what that front office is able to do from a salary cap perspective. We had to make a tough choice by getting rid of of Tyreek Hill. We knew we couldn't pay him. And you can't lock up that much money into one position to really be good. Or you better have a great draft every year and you're finding people like we have in the late fifth, sixth, seventh round, it goes back to new England. It's the same thing that they did. And we are starting to copy that. And it's not even just new England. It's every NFL dynasty. They do the same thing. There is a formula. You got to have coach. You got to have quarterback. You got to have a GM. You can't go spend a ton of money on free agency to be dynastic. You can do the one year rental plan like the LA Rams did and get a whole bunch of people in free agency, and that may buy you one ring. But to go to multiple AFC championship games, multiple Super Bowls, you have got to spread the wealth. you got to have people who are team-oriented, and there has to be a common goal, which is to win. I agree. The only thing that's going to hold the Bengals back is actually currency. It's not going to be talent. It's going to be who can they pay. That's what it's going to boil down to is who can they re-sign Do they have good draft picks? They're honestly the only team that I look at that I have any reservations on because they are good, and they have beat us more than just once head-to-head. They've kind of owned us. Just financially is where they're going to have their struggle, but they are 
a scary team, and I think time will tell. So I think their future is bright too if they make the right decisions. Going into the next team here, the Bills. Of all four teams, I actually think they are in the worst position. Um, I do think that you always can do something to get out of your salary cap hell. You can do some moving around, some restructuring of contracts. Their window, I think, might be the smallest of of all, all the four. Does Josh Allen take that wildness out of him? Do they become a more balanced offense and not a Josh Allen-centric offense? I think their defense is always going to be in, in the top 12. They're going to be pretty decent. Offensively, just like the Bengals have a financial predicament coming up, I think the Bills are the same. But I will say this on a positive note of the Bills. If they go get a running back, and I'm talking a legitimate running back, not a he's washed up, whatever, a legitimate person they can turn and hand the ball to, that might be what makes them relevant and Josh Allen lowering kind of his turnovers. Because it wasn't just that he threw 14 picks this year. He had like eight fumbles. He was just careless with the football. So out of the four teams, Mitch, I would say I think their future is the least bright of the four teams in the AFC that made the divisional round. What say you on that? I 100% agree with you. I think that they're in cap hell. I think that uh, they're paying Von Miller a ton of money, which is that really going to pan out because he got hurt. And so what what is he looking like coming back next year? Is that something that you maybe look at and try to maybe restructure his contract a little bit? Um, Josh Allen has gotten paid, and I think his cap hit next season goes up to like 45, I think, something along those lines. So these quarterbacks that are getting paid now are going to be put in, in situations like Patrick is, is that Casey traded away their best receiver and pretty much had enough faith in him to figure it out. And so these guys like Joe and um, Josh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure out how to win without elite receivers. And so I think I agree with you. I think that the Buffalo bills of all the teams are in the worst spot from a cap perspective. And the only way they're going to be able to make it work is if, if Josh Allen plays elite at the quarterback position. So now we're going to get into the NFC teams. And first team up is the Eagles. I think that the Eagles are kind of in the same spot that the Bengals and Bills are in because now they're in a situation that they're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts. So what does Jalen Hurts look like in, you know, a few years when he doesn't have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith? Because from a cap perspective, you're not going to be able to keep all three. So depending on what Jalen, what type of deal Jalen signs, you, you never know. He could, hypothetically, he could sign a deal like Patrick Mahomes and be smart and say, hey, I know the number that I want is going to be enough for me to have generational wealth, but I also want to win. So what does what does that contract look like? So I think that um, if they can get Jalen to commit to a contract like that, that is team friendly, but still pays him and, and lets them surround him with good players, I think they could be in, in, in a really good position. I think if he's like, no, I want to be the highest paid quarterback, I think that really puts them in a bind. Um, I think their offensive line is great. It's one of the best in the NFL. I think that the, the D line is great as well, but I think it really hinges on 
what Jalen Hurts' contract looks like is going to really determine how much success they're going to have in the future. Agreed. I I do think that they're the the best positioned out of the four teams that we're going to talk about here. A three-year window, I think the Eagles are going to be very good. I, I do think the Eagles have a bright future. It's going to be interesting to see now that they have a first-place schedule. What do they do next year? Uh, but as of right now, while they have Jalen Hurts under that kind of rookie contract, they still have A.J. Brown. They got Devontae Smith. The way that Nick Sirianni is going to stay, I believe, a, a, a very consistent coach. Their defense is going to really take this beating, I think. And even though the, the, the score was close, the Chiefs' offense did whatever they wanted when they were on the field. And I think that's going to wake them up and realize that we've got to do things a little bit different. This is going to be the first hot take of today on our podcast. I would not be surprised if it was a Super Bowl rematch next year. Chiefs against the Eagles. I would not be shocked one iota if it was a rematch. You know, I was actually thinking the exact same thing last night, and I even told my wife, I was like, you know, I would not be surprised if this is the Super Bowl matchup next year. And she's like, really? I said, yeah. Um, however, I did say I, I do believe that it will be easier for the Eagles to get back than the Chiefs because I think the AFC is just better. But I definitely agree with you. I would not be shocked one bit if if it was a rematch next year in the Super Bowl. Absolutely. So let's stay with the NFC East here and go to the Cowboys. This one's going to be short. I think the Cowboys, from a roster perspective, are a pretty decent team. I think Dak Prescott is going to continue to give you good regular season stats. I think they are going to contend for the division again next year. As far as their future goes, they're really hard to, for me at least, they're, they're really hard for me to put my thumb down and say, yeah, this is what they're going to be. Because they're one of those teams that I can see going 6-11 and 11 next year, and I can also see them going 13-4. and four. They're just that much of a of an enigma. You just don't really know what they are. And Zeke is way past his prime. Who knows how Pollard comes back. But if they go in the draft and get a good running back, a young running back like a Pacheco, runs hard late in the draft, when you look at their roster on paper, the really only thing that they're struggling at is tight end and a second wide receiver. C.D. Lamb is good. I would not put Michael Gallup in that. I think them losing Amari Cooper was huge. So if they go in the draft and get a, a good wide receiver, a serviceable running back to kind of hold in place until Tony Pollard comes back, I wouldn't say their future is bright, but I don't think their window is closed. It, does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I think that the Cowboys, because they're paying Dak, I feel like if they want to be successful, he's got to be the guy to give them, get them over the hump. You know, he's getting paid $45 million a year. So, in my opinion, if you're getting paid that much money in that game versus the Niners, you need to win that game. Um, I do think that they have good pieces around them, like you said, CeeDee Lamb. I just don't know from a future perspective. I think that they'll have – uh, the ability to always be in the playoffs, but I just don't see them playing for a, a NFC championship or anything like that because of the 49ers and the Eagles. 
So moving on to our next team, we're going to talk about the 49ers. I think that this team is in the second best position in the NFC for success in the future over these next, you know, three to five years because they have a great defense. They have a quarterback, but the problem is, is that Purdy is don't know if he's going to be ready for the season to start. I think that if they make the right decision at quarterback, which is going to be Purdy or Trey Lance, whichever one they decide with, as long as that quarterback plays really well, they're going to be really good because their defense is absolutely elite. So I think that the 40, 49ers are in a great position to have success in, in the coming years. It all, to me, hinges on how well the quarterback plays. I'll keep this one really short and sweet. I think the 49ers are in a great position. Their defense, very stellar, good coach. Everything to me with the 49ers is going to hinge on what does the quarterback position do? I don't know if Brock Purdy's the guy. I definitely don't think Trey Lance is the guy. We'll see what happens. There's rumor now that they may go try to get Derek Carr just because of the capital that they have, and he's not going to waive his no-trade clause. So that's going to be interesting to see how this works out. Last NFC East team, and I, I think we'll keep this one short as well, the Giants. I'm just going to say it right now. I don't even think they make the playoffs next year. Uh, I would attend, I tend to agree. Um, I think that they got lucky. I think, however, if they want to continue to get better, that Daniel Jones has to, has to be – consistent with his quarterback play like in the playoffs when they played the Minnesota Vikings I believe and they upset the Minnesota Vikings like that was his best game that he has played in my opinion of his career and then he turns around and has an absolute you know crap show of a showing against uh who did they they lose to they lost to the Eagles oh the Eagles and not that you know, they were going to beat the Eagles, but they should have definitely had a better showing, in my opinion. To have success, Daniel Jones has to consistently play as a QB1 and play well. Absolutely. So to end the podcast here, we've had some great topics today. Um, I really enjoyed talking about the the eight teams and kind of what the future looks like because we know the NFL season is now over. It's concluded with the Chiefs <laughs> hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. And now we'll look forward to the draft, and we'll have a lot to talk about there. I will say it's really exciting is to win the Super Bowl and then in two months actually host the draft. That is super exciting. Absolutely. And so to stay on that theme, and there's not anyone that listens to this that is ever going to confuse who our favorite team is. But because we just won the Super Bowl and we're hosting the draft this year, just like last week, instead of doing an all-time team – you and I are going to actually do an all-time Chiefs team. Who would we take at quarterback? Who would be the running back? And then the three wide receivers, a tight end, O-line, and defense. An all-time Chiefs team. And I think you and I both are not going to disagree on quarterback, so let's just go ahead and get that out (laughs) of the way. Everyone knows the quarterback that any Chiefs fan would pick. Patrick Mahomes, PM15. That is who we'd pick. I would actually go, if I had to pick a second one, I would go Lynn Dawson just because he's the other quarterback that we won a Super Bowl with. And really, other than them two, we haven't had a lot of great 
quarterbacks. You know, you got Gerback. Right. You got oh, and, 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 and remember Steve Bono. Yeah, we, yeah, we all hated him. But uh, also, just real quick, R.I.P. Lynn Dawson. Uh, he just passed away last year. Um, so, yeah, man, he was he was the guy until Patrick. So, thank you, Lynn. Yeah, thank you. Running back-wise, I think there's an argument for two. Okay. I would prefer to go with Jamal Charles, but I would not be angry if someone said Priest Holmes. What about you? Ironically, I agree. I think that um, I would pick Jamal Charles as well. I think Priest Holmes is um, a very, very close second. I would, if someone wanted to say Priest Holmes, I would, I wouldn't be mad. I wouldn't argue with them because he was great in the the short stint he was here. He was here for a few years, and but those few years he was very elite. I will say it also did help that he was also running behind one of the best offensive lines that we've ever had. But yeah. Okay, and then receiver-wise, my three receivers, and you can say if you would disagree with this or not. So my three receivers would be Dwayne Bowe, Otis Taylor, and I would probably go Tyreek Hill. That would be my receiving core. I think my receiving core would be Tyreek Hill, Andre Risen, and I don't know why a guy I just loved, and it was just me being just biased towards myself, Eddie Kinnison, good old steady Eddie. Oh, I did not like old Eddie Kinnison with the forearm shivers. Hey, <laughs> he, hey. he wasn't bad, but me, I, I think we disagree definitely on the uh, receiver aspect because I wouldn't have gone bad moon rising either. I just don't think he played for us long enough to go. Uh, tight end, I'm going Travis Kelsey. I could see someone saying Tony Gonzalez, but that those would be the two that I would say at tight end. Oh, like I, that's absolutely no question. It's literally a debate. Who are you taking, Tony G or Travis Kelsey? That's the only argument at that position for sure. O-line, I don't think there's even an argument here. I would probably go with the early 2000s line, even though we didn't have a bunch of success. It's the fact that they were Hall of Famers. If you wanted to have recency biased and say you would pick this offensive line, I don't think I would be mad at you. I mean, we have done a great job of, again, Brett Veach, getting a great wall in front of Patrick Mahomes. They were awesome this year. I mean, other than really Andrew Wiley having some up and down games, our offensive line was nasty. I mean, they were good. Yeah, I agree. I would say, to be completely honest, the way everybody was talking about the second coming of the Eagles defensive line and how they were, you know, essentially the 85 Bears in the 2000 Ravens, like how could this year's Chiefs offensive line not be in that discussion? Because you had a guy in Andrew Riley who, uh, if you remember the last podcast, you you said, Chris, that, hey, if Andrew Riley wins his battle one-on-one with with uh, Hassan Reddick. Hassan Reddick, that we'd have a great chance to win. And what did good old Mr. Wiley do? He did what he does. And again, yes, this, like you said, this offensive line, I would not argue, but me personally, I would go with their early 2000s offensive line as well. Now, the defense is going to be interesting because I think Chiefs have had really good cores at certain times. Like we've had a awesome D line, but then we didn't have very good linebacking core or we had a great secondary and linebacker and D line stunk. If I had to pick, it might be the late sixties, early seventies chief defense. 
just because Hall of Famers everywhere. And then really after that, I just think we've had good cores. Like you've had the early 90s defensive line with right. really everyone knew that even though Derek Thomas was listed as a linebacker, he really was an outside OLB that was in a three-point stance most of the time. So he was kind of part of that D-line with Neil Smith. Um, just great D-line. Linebacker, believe it or not, other than that early 1970s, I think we had a really good linebacking core with Justin Houston, Tom Bali, and Derek Johnson. That was a they were, good linebacking core. They were absolutely legit. That's probably one of my favorite linebacking cores since I started watching watching the Chiefs when I was a little kid. Yeah, those three together were just absolutely monsters. Because I, I do believe that uh, Derek Johnson, from a national perspective, I don't think he ever got the love that he really deserved because he was a guy who was always, you know, tops and tackles. But I think because he played in Kansas City, he just, you know, we're essentially what what a lot of people like to call flyover country. You know, um, I feel like if he would have been playing like in New York or L.A. or, LA or Chicago, I think he would have got a lot more love. Yeah, for sure. And secondary-wise – I, I don't want to sound super young here, like we're not paying attention to some of the other teams, but early 90s, Dale Carter, James Hasty, I yeah. would say that's probably our better secondary core. But overall defense, I'm probably going to go with the early onset Chiefs. Late 60s, early 70s would be my defense. Agreed. All time. Yeah, especially especially because, I mean, Bobby Bell was – he was no joke, dude. He was, Buchanan, all them boys. Yeah, the, yeah they, them boys were good. They're really good. I believe Emmett Thomas played during that time too. Our our corner. I think, oh yes, he did. yeah, Emmett he Thomas. did. So, yeah, I mean that's what I would do. Great man, it's an awesome podcast to have after your team wins. For any fan that has ever won, ever, these are great days to sit down and talk with your buddies about sports. Because if you've ever had a fan base or a team that you've rooted for that just ripped your heart out to see them win, to see grown men crying on the field, to know that that's your team. It's a great feeling, man. It really is. It is absolutely one of the best feelings in the world as a sports fan to know that your team has been to the mountaintop and reached and conquered it. And so that's we're at to the end of the show. Now, don't forget, uh, real quick, we're going to have a shout-out, okay, so it can be sports related. It can be non-sports related. Is there someone or something you want to shout out? Yeah. Whoever the pilot was of uh, that F-22 that shot down that balloon looking thing. You're awesome. <laughs> uh, that is USA. Uh, USA. <laughs> that, that, that is an absolute great shout out. Man. I t- yeah. I agree with you. That's a great shout out. Um, my shout out is going to go to what Chris alluded to earlier. I am a huge Mizzou fan and Mizzou basketball went on the road, beat number six, Tennessee with a three at the buzzer to win the game. So my shout out is Mizzou basketball and getting that dub on the road at number six, Tennessee with the three at the buzzer to win. So that's my shout out. So I think I'm in the podcast with something that Mitch Holt has said. You can doubt the Chiefs. 
you can disrespect the Chiefs, but you're going to have to deal with the Chiefs being Super Bowl 57 champions. And always remember, be kind, because everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you have no idea about. Until next week, fam. Peace.